All right. Well, again, thanks for joining us today. Uh, New City Church uh, celebrated five years in April, and we've, this is our fifth year doing live Q&A Sunday. So again, if you're new with us, my name is Dylan, uh, lead pastor here at New City Church. This is my wife, Christina, and this is Dave, who is one of our elders here. And uh, basically what we do is we encourage you to text your questions uh, to that number, 919-800-0525, and uh, we will answer them. They'll be on the screen. And uh, we typically don't get to all the questions, and so if you have something, encourage you to go ahead and text it now. Again, all these questions are going to be anonymous. We're going to read them from the screen, um, but we're not going to, you know, who they are. And so encourage you to get those in. Again, people watching online, you can ask those as well. A couple of quick things before we do this. This is always typically a favorite uh, for people that if you've been here before, uh, we have not seen these questions beforehand. So uh, we just ask for your grace if we don't a answer them like precisely the way that you might if you have time. The reason we do this every year is because you guys give us those, those graces. And so just know we haven't seen these. We're trying to do the best we can. Um, I would also say some of these questions might be particularly, what does the Bible say about something? Some of them sometimes are more like, what's your opinion on this subject? And so for those questions, you will hear something today that you disagree with, and that is okay. You know, New City Church, we're united around Jesus and not all just our opinions. And so you don't, we, don't need to have, we don't need to be like a monolithic block of people who all think the same things on every single issue. And so you hear something you disagree with, you know, totally know that's okay. But if something you know bothers you, happy to chat, of course, if that's what you want as well. And so I think that's everything I was going to say. And so let's do it. Live Q&A Sunday. So we'll go to the first question. Is this? Oh, one other thing is, I don't know if you've, one of the, my things, pet peeves about Q&As is like people say that they do Q&A and you only get the four questions because they take forever to answer them. That's not our goal here. So we're going to try to do this somewhat quickly. And all three of us probably aren't going to answer every question so that we can kind of get through them. So again, the number's on the screen. So feel free to text as things come to mind. So here's the first one. What does family discipleship or quiet time look like for your family? Um, I, I answer a little bit, and then Dave, well, you got, you can, we can answer for us, and you can answer for what it's you been like for you. Um, well, you got wisdom. Your kids are old and grown, so you can tell us what you did. I got lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> uh, I think a couple things real quick. So, like, for us, what Christina does often is she, during breakfast, she'll do breakfast and Bible story. She's got, like, these kids' Bibles. Right now we have the Bible, the Action, action Bible. The action Bible. It's like a comic, ver ver uh, comic book version, which is really cool. Uh, there's lots of things you could do. That's one of the things that we do, um, you know, when we take our kids to bed. One of the things I ask, or often ask our kids, do you have any questions for me? Do you have any questions about God? Just to kind of make those conversations. But what I would say to encourage you, because I think sometimes you hear people say, well, I do family, family devotions or family worship every single day. And you're like, what? How do I do that? It's really quite fascinating when you read the statistics on, for example, kids that grew up in church and then they stopped going to church in college and it's like this big, you know, it kind of sounds like doom and gloom. What they actually find is that two, two reasons the kids will actually continue to stay in the faith when they go to college. One is if their parents prioritize going, uh, going to church on Sunday. So it's one thing to say faith's important, but then, you know, when sports happens or when travel happens, that you never show up. Now, of course, I'm not saying you can't be involved in those things, but if it's not important to your family, you haven't instilled that rhythm and practice, well, of course, they're going to stop going when they no longer have to because they, they, they were told it's important unless something else is more important. So statistics say, in terms of the kids that stop going to church, if they actually grew up going to church consistently, the percentage is a lot less. And also, the second thing is whether the parents actually lived it out. Not perfectly. It's not like necessarily having family devotions every single night, but if you'd make church attendance in a priority because it's important to you and you genuinely love the Lord yourself um, and try to strive to honor him and open up those conversations, I would say it's okay if you don't have like this discipleship plan, although those things are great. But I, I, all I have to say, it's not as, a, it's, it's easier to do than you might think. 
And statistics bear that out. If you're trying to follow the Lord, then you make just Sunday attendance a priority because you want to learn and grow. Your kids will see that that's an important thing too. So that's real quick. Yeah, I'll add to that just a little bit. Um, I think, you know, as the church, like here in New City Kids, like we want to contribute to your kids' discipleship for sure, but it is your primary responsibility. Um, but I, I agree with Dylan. You don't have to place a lot of weight on yourself. Uh, Dylan and I just moved. So I do try to have this rhythm of practice where we read the Bible for breakfast every morning. Um, but we just moved a month ago, and last week we did it once. Um, and so there's grace for that. And also a lot of times when I'm reading them the Bible over breakfast, like they're not really paying attention, but like, you'll be amazed what will like soak in, um, through that. I also do some catechisms with our older daughter. She's seven. And so it's like questions and answers. It's called new city catechisms, not, not relation to new city church. Um, but it's really good just to instill those kind of like foundations. Um, and I think the other big thing is like making sure I know God and that I'm prepared for some of their questions. I know I'm not going to be prepared for all of them, but I'm in God's word. I'm spending time with God daily and have that rhythm so that when they have questions, we can have real conversations about what it looks like to live out faith practically, but they are going to ask questions sometimes that you'll have to investigate together too. I agree. <laughs> all right. I mean, I, I could tell funny stories about how you think you're failing, but really that what you guys have said is really true. Yeah. Consistency. And I think one of the most important things you can do that will make a difference in your children's lives is to live your faith well in front of them. If they see you not living your faith well, then they know Sunday's a show or they believe Sunday's a show. If they don't, if they see you living your faith the way it's taught on Sunday, the way they experience it, if when they come to you, you pray with them, you talk about your life, you talk about your struggles, you talk about your failures, you confess your sin to your children when they see it, those kinds of things go a long way to making a big difference. And just remember, you have time. Like if it's a bad day, it was a bad day. And you just sometimes need to say to your kids, dad had a bad day. <laughs> dad didn't do well today. Dad didn't love Jesus the way he should have today. Tomorrow I'm going to do better, and I hope you can give me grace to do better tomorrow. Is that okay? And those kind of things can make a difference over the long haul. I don't have any silver bullet on how to do that well. There you go. Awesome. Do the next one. Uh, how can you instill hope in your children after their parents' divorce? Yeah, I think being honest with them about our own sin, right? And some of this is like out of our control, and it's really hard with children because I think you got to talk to them at like age appropriate ways. And I think one of the hardest things about this is sometimes this is happening like outside of your control, right? So there's your ex spouse that you can't control what they're saying, you can't control what they're doing, and that's really hard. But I think one of the most damaging things you can do is talk poorly about your ex spouse to the child because that's their parent. Um, and I know that that's hard to do. And so you kind of just have to own your part, whatever part it may be, if there is a part in it, um, and just own and, and, and be honest with them that that went out. Sure. Thanks. We'll share. I like sharing. Um, and so I think, you know, being honest with them that like, yeah, we live in a broken world and like God's design is for people to stay married forever for a lifetime, but that doesn't always happen sometimes. We'll switch these so they, there you go. Um, and so uh, being honest with them about that, um, yeah, I think just being honest. Um, I mean, Christina grew up, yeah. her parents were divorced. I don't know if you want to share anything with that. but Yeah, um, I think, yeah, there's, there's so much hope because 
I think it can feel very dark, but I think one thing that we forget is that we're supposed to be a, a people of hope, that God is still moving, the Holy Spirit is still in us. Um, so much good can still happen regardless of our broken circumstance. So it's not like this one bad thing's gonna happen, this one sin's gonna happen, and like your life is ruined forever. Like, look at the Bible, like, look what the disciples did. Like, they were a hot mess, they sinned all the time, and yet God still used them. So rem reminding them that, like, yes, this is a decision we made, we're sorry for how, how it's impacted you, this is what it's gonna look like look like going forward but like for your end of it like again you can't control your your ex-spouse but you can control yourself of like this is what it's going to look like for me to follow God in this and this is how I'm going to do it and I'm sorry for the how this affects you. Dave you were in vocation ministry for a long time so yeah all I'll add is this um maybe in some area of your parenting for whatever reason you can't be the best example maybe in some area you can't be the shining light of all that it means to walk perfectly with Jesus. So just pray that your kids have other people who become that shining light in that area. One of my good friends in college, uh, Leslie, we were in ministry together, very heavily involved in a student group. We both went into full-time ministry afterwards. And after four years of being involved in ministry, seeing lots of people come to faith, growing, discipling people, being discipled ourselves, all this transformation, when asked as she was graduating, what's the one most important thing that you learned in your time here at school? And she said from our campus director and his wife, she said, for the first time in my life, I believe marriage can work. That was the most important thing she took. And we didn't talk about marriage at all, hardly. You know, it was just, it was just part of living life and being around them. She really began to believe the two sinful people can figure it out and love Jesus and make a marriage work. So if it can't be you, it can be others, and that's a wonderful thing about the body of Christ, that we are a body, that we do carry one another, we do carry each other's burdens, and sometimes you just need the body to be an example in an area where you haven't been great. Uh, thanks for answering that question, or asking that question, and um, sorry that you're dealing with that, and uh, if you've been divorced, or maybe in a wrong relationship right now, I just want to let you know you're welcome here. I know divorce kind of can seem like an unforgivable sin in church circles, but we want to we be with you and, and love you through that, so next one. When a believer is saved, do they receive the Holy Spirit immediately or after they've been baptized? Yeah, so if you're like, if you might not, there's kind of different schools of thought. So, you know, our stance at New City Church is as soon as you profess faith in Jesus, you are in dwell with the Holy Spirit. It's our stance because that's what Scripture teaches. Um, but some people <laughs> will talk about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, which is like, you know, you follow Jesus and then you have this second experience and then you get the Holy Spirit. Part of that is because in the beginning of the book of Acts, you know, Jesus, you know, Peter, a bunch of the people come to faith and they're told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, it is my opinion in the book of Acts that was a very unique one-time event that you don't become baptized of the Holy Spirit later or when you actually physically get baptized in water that the Holy Spirit, they rest upon you. We were told that as soon as we place our faith in Christ, uh, the scripture, or that the Jesus, the God's Spirit dwells in us that we have been cleansed from our sin. Now, I would say that just because you're following Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus, just because you have the Spirit within you, um, you can grow in your relationship with the Spirit. You can grow um, in your sensitivity to the Spirit and His leading in your life. So if you're pursuing the Lord and you have rhythms and practices um, where you're asking the Spirit to convict and to lead you, um, certainly you will experience the Spirit more than if you just you know, pray to prayer. You, you genuinely love Jesus, but you're kind of doing your own thing. So Scripture does talk about, does talk about walking with the Spirit, asking the Spirit to convict you, asking the Spirit to... to to lead you and to guide you. Um, scripture 
we would argue, says the moment that, that you follow Christ, you've been regenerated, the Spirit is in you. But you can experience more of the Spirit as you walk with the Lord and pursue Him. And conversely, if, if you're going your own way, then, then you won't be as sensitive to what the Spirit might be leading you to do. All I would add is, um, if this is an important issue to you, Romans 8 talks about life in the Spirit. And if you read Romans 8, 9, and 10, it just says this, you, talking to the believers at Rome, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're in the Spirit, you're not in the flesh. Well, how do you know that? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. You get the Spirit of Christ the moment you believe you are transformed. All these things happen spiritually uh, at the moment of faith, and that's where it is. So if you don't have Christ in you, you're not, you don't belong to him. You're not a believer. If you, have, if you are a believer, if you have Christ in you, you belong to him, Romans 8, 9, and 10. Yeah. And I, again, I'll just say... You know, the Holy Spirit's not an it. He's the third person of the Godhead, God's eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can pray to the Spirit. You can ask the Spirit to convict you. You can ask the Spirit for discernment. Uh, you can ask the Spirit to guide you, to give you courage, to love, to, um, to do things that you might not be able to, to do or perceive yourself. And so certainly asking the Spirit to help, help, help you as you follow Jesus, we could. So Again, we're trying to do these quick. We could talk forever, but uh, we'll go to the next one. Are you supposed to feel your faith or feel Jesus? Supposed to feel your faith. I'm guessing that's like kind of like the same question. Like you're supposed to like feel it. Um, I mean, do you want to go, Christina? Please. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, thanks so much, guys. So so supportive. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think you can't trust your feelings. Um, I think sometimes we do feel God and we feel the Holy Spirit, but just because you feel Him or don't feel Him does not mean He is not there. He is always there, um, and you can't trust your feelings because sometimes. Our feelings are crazy, um, but they're not right or wrong. Something my mother-in-law says all the time that has always given me so much freedom um, is your feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are, but it's what you do with the feelings. So sometimes we have feelings that are like wild and like feel very sinful. Um, and so, but just because you feel something, it doesn't mean you have to act on that, on that sin, but he is always there. And so goosebumps are not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person like Dylan just said. I don't know if we just changed the question, but. I think we're back on the feelings. Um, I would say you definitely can feel God's presence and God's spirit, but you definitely won't feel it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what, what can become really discouraging in the Christian life is when you are pursuing the Lord and you are spending time with him and you are praying, you are in community, and you have those like really dry seasons. That can be really when it's really discouraging. Um, but what Jesus has done for us is not determinative on our feelings or what, we, you know, what we've done. It's about what he has done. And so... I just want to say you can be in seasons where you're pursuing the Lord and you don't feel it, and that can be really hard. Um, but when you continue to do so, there are also times where you certainly do feel his presence, but it's, it's not going to be all the time for sure. We put our faith in the facts of the gospel and the scripture that we are taught, and sometimes our feelings line up with that, and sometimes they don't. I don't know if you've ever been sick. I've had the feeling that I wanted to die. Like, please, Lord, let me die so I don't keep feeling like this. And then a few hours later, I didn't have that feeling anymore because things had cleared out. Or because his wife, Kara, said, Dave, you had a 0.4% fever, 99% fever. That was, that was your temperature. You weren't sick. Yes, fold. yes. Anyway, feelings come and go. They're very difficult to control. They have impacted by many things. We put our faith in the facts, and sometimes our feelings line up, and that's a wonderful thing, and at times feelings don't line up, and that's more frustrating and difficult, but it doesn't change the truth of what we believe and the truth of who God is and how we live. Yeah, and I would say, too, your affections for Christ can be cultivated. 
And so um, through disciplines and consistently following him, um, there you will feel you, you will likely feel his presence more than if you're just kind of going your own way and just waiting for it to happen. And so you're not going to feel all the time, but you certainly can cultivate your affections through Christ with you know committing to a local body, spending time with prayer, community, that sort of thing. So, next question: um, What does the Bible say about abortion? Uh, so yeah, this is a heavy topic. Obviously, there's been a lot said, a lot of opinions about you know the Supreme Court decision, all that sort of thing. People fall on different sides of the spectrum here. Um, the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about abortion, um, so technically nothing. Um, now, we can, that, that said, we can certainly glean, glean a lot of truths from Scripture about what Scripture says, you know, in, in the Psalms and other places where it talks about being knit together in your mother's room, or talking about how all human beings in Genesis 1 are created in God's image, male and female, which would mean that your worth and your personhood and your value to the Lord is not determinative based on how big or small you are. It's not based on how smart, smart you are. It's not based on how developed you are. It's not based on the geographical location of where you are. That all people matter, that all people are loved by God, and that all people care. And so um, to, to terminate a life, uh, something that's creating God's image, would be, not, would be to go against what God would want for us. Now, Again, the whole pro-life thing and the whole Roe v. Wade, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get some questions, so maybe we can kind of answer that all here. Um, I would just say this. Some people will say, well, what's, what do we do now with what the Supreme Court did? Uh, for Christians, the answer is we don't do anything different. There's, no, there's nothing different for us, that we're supposed to love people always. We're supposed to care for people always. We're supposed to care for single mothers, fathers, women who are pregnant, who are not sure what to do. Um, but it all matters. And, of course, the lives of women matter. But, again, with, with abortion, it's not just pro-birth is pro-life, and so this also means that, like, mass incarceration is a problem in our country when, for example, I go downtown to Wake County Correctional Facility to have a call with, some, with an inmate, and I'm, like, the only white person, and there's 30 black people. That's a problem, because that's not the demographic of Wake County. Um, it's a problem when there's not affordable housing. Like, we, we want to care for people in all spheres, and, of course, I don't have the answer for all that, but the Bible is consistently a pro-life ethic of, of all kinds, of people, places, and things. This doesn't Again, there's, there's a lot of reasons why women or men might pressure their significant other to get an abortion. And, of course, our place is not to judge or condemn, but our place is to love and to encourage. One of my prayers with the whole Roe v. Wade thing is that there's, you know, more, that there would be more pressure, I think that's a fine word, on, uh, on states and governances and local bodies to create more resources for women, um, create more, I don't know what the right word is, consequences for men. Uh, when, when they impregnate somebody, that child support, I mean, all these sort of things should happen, and there should be consequences for men that will have them. But um, I'll have to say, I'll let you guys share some too, but the Bible doesn't technically say anything about abortion, but it says that all people are creating God's image. It says that even in our room we matter, and we can talk about the science and conception, that sort of thing. I know that's probably where a lot of the debate is. Um, but all people matter, and so the question is, what are we going to do with that fact that all people matter? So. Yeah, I would say that exactly what you said, the Bible doesn't speak specifically to abortion, but it does say that life is in the womb. And so I think that the Bible is clear about that because it says it in a couple places. I think Dave has some things to share because I see a note on here. And I'm going to let him talk and then I'll say some more. You're not supposed to point out my cheat sheet <laughs> I'm here. I'm sorry. Actually, all I would say is this, um, to go to what should the church be doing? I would say adoption. Like right now in America, you know, there's like 300,000 kids in foster care and there's almost 300,000 churches in America. So I'm not sure if the math is right, but if one family in every church in America, so not a difficult thing, one family, every church in America said, we're gonna adopt one kid out of foster care. Now, foster care gets emptied, and 
that's one family in every church. Now, some churches can do a lot more. Some, you know, are mostly people in their 70s. They're not going to adopt out of foster care. But adoption is one of those simple things that we can do to transform the culture and make things a lot better and safer. I'm a big believer in adoption. Yeah, um, and also just supporting women in that situation because re reunification is a beautiful thing as well. Um, there's so many things I want to say about this topic. Um, first, I want to say that... Um, if you've had an abortion, like statistically speaking, like someone in this room has, um, and, and that's okay. Like you're loved by God. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Um, and that, that includes any sin, no matter what it is. I think of David, um, in the Bible who was called a man after God's own heart. Um, and he murdered someone, um, you know, he was, he was a murderer and he murdered someone, not even for love, but like purely for sex. Like he saw the woman, he wanted her. And so he murdered her husband. Um, and he was called a man after God's own heart. And so you can be used by God. You can be a faithful Christian. And like, this could be a story. You could have had an abortion this morning and you were still welcome in God's kingdom and you can be used by God. Um, so I definitely want to say that. And then I just want to say that, um, yeah, I actually worked at a, a pregnancy center, um, who, uh, that literally all they did was help women with unplanned pregnancies. And so uh, there's so much I could say. I worked there for a year and a half. Um, women need support um, when, when this happens. And there's so many misconceptions around it. Um, to Just to name a few, a lot of people assume it's just young women. That's not true. We had grandmas coming in there wanting an abortion. And their, their reason for wanting an abortion was their daughter was pregnant. And so they were like, I don't want to be pregnant when my daughter is pregnant. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm a grandma. I can't have a baby. Um, abortion or unplanned pregnancy also affects people of all socioeconomic statuses. It's not just people who feel like they can't afford it. Um, having an unplanned pregnancy is a terrifying thing. Um, and so women, women need support. Um, and one thing that I saw was when we were there to be able to provide that support for them and just like really come around them. Um, it was the, sometimes the smallest bit of support that would make them feel like they could do it. Um, someone would, would, would come in and they'd be like, well, I can't have a baby because I don't have a crib. And it's like, oh, okay, like, I get that. Would you want a baby if you had a crib? Well, yeah. Well, if I had a crib, I'd have a place to put the baby. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we can get you a crib today. Like, we could do that. Like, you don't need it for nine months, but we could absolutely get that for you. And so it, they're just, you know, sometimes they're just scared um, and need support. Um, but I think the best thing we can do is to hear people's stories and to love them no matter what they choose. That's why I really appreciated the pregnancy center that I, I worked at. Um, because we loved the women and were there for them to be their friend, no matter what they chose. A lot of those women chose abortion. Um, and I was the one who was calling them the next day to say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Is there anything you need? Um, and to be able to provide post-abortion counseling. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't know that you wouldn't know unless you were involved in a pregnancy center or knew a lot of women who had unplanned pregnancies, which I feel like a lot of people don't know that because it's also such a secretive thing, right? A lot of people who have abortions don't tell anyone they had an abortion. Um, so we were in an interesting situation where they were coming to us about their unplanned pregnancy and so we knew about it so we were kind of like their safe space where they could actually talk about it because their friends didn't know the sometimes the guy didn't even know all of that um, but one thing that happens fairly regularly is actually women will go out and after their abortion they will intentionally get pregnant a few months later um, that the first time that happened I had been working at the pregnancy center for six days when I made that call um, that was a phone call that I had on a regular basis was calling to check up on a woman who had an abortion just seeing how she was doing texting her calling her and she was like oh yeah I got pregnant I'm so excited we're having the baby like they intentionally got pregnant um, and so what that leads me to believe is that abortion isn't good for for women it does something to you um, it you need psychological and counseling and so just support when when you have to walk through something like that but I don't think there's one answer to this. I think it's really, really complicated and really, really hard. And our job is like what Dylan said. It's always just to love the person that's in front of us, no matter what their story is. And not to judge, because you don't know what it's like. 
you don't know what it's like and you don't know what caused a woman to want to do that or to do that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so again, just like divorce is not the impartable sin, abortion is not an impartable sin. If you had an abortion and you're like, if they find out, then I'm going to have to leave. That's not true. And of course, you don't have to tell everybody. That's not everyone's business, but you're welcome here. And if you're a man and you, you know, you know, encourage a previous spouse or girlfriend, whatever, and you have a guilt, like you're welcome here as well. Um, God loves you. And last thing that's really interesting, if you look at church history, one of the things that led to the explosive growth, growth in Christianity in the first couple centuries was adoption because people would leave babies on this, leave them out in the elements to die if it was a girl or if there was something that they thought was wrong with the child and Christians would take them in. And um, that's what God's called us to do, is to love, love people the best way we can when we are. And so there's a lot to say about that, and I know there's a lot of opinions. Um, so we could say more, but thanks for asking, and uh, man, God loves all of you. So next one. How can you discern the truth of who God is apart from Christian culture? Uh, yeah, what's hard is like we don't, I don't, we don't know the motivations or you know, the experiences behind these questions. Um, I think one of the challenges in, in the mod- our modern Western very individualistic culture is to separate like my personal relationship with Jesus and God from all the religion and all the church because all that's bad. I just got to follow Jesus. The hard part is choosing to follow Jesus is a personal decision no one can make for you. It is completely alien in the New Testament to follow Jesus by yourself. You can't love. You can't forgive people. You can't pray for people. You can't weep with those who weep. You can't celebrate with those who are excited by yourself. You've got to find a community that you're willing to stick to, stick with, not just when things get hard, I'm going to leave because now I'm uncomfortable but you can't do it by yourself. Now, the problem is there's a lot of things wrong with churches today, with New City Church, with all the churches. There's a lot of things wrong with cultural Christianity. But my first thing when I hear this question is, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong you might disagree with, but the answer is not don't go and figure this out on your own. It's to have a community of people to walk with. And um, that's honestly, that, that would be my answer, is to have a community of people that you can wrestle this through with so you can find out what God, how God is leading you, what God is saying. I think you're going to have a really hard time doing it by yourself. And so I don't know that that at all answers the question, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. You guys have had two minutes. Come on. Um, <laughs> I'm, again, I'm trying to understand the question. So if this is someone yeah. who's not a Christ follower and saying, well, hey, what, what if, is there any evidence for God apart from uh, Christian culture, which I'm guessing would include the Bible? I don't know. Um, but I would discern who God is from the Scripture. The Scripture teaches us who God is on every page, in every verse, in every chapter, in every book. God is revealed, and his character is revealed, and who he is is revealed there. So that's the first place. But Romans 1.18 talks about that even if you have no direct revelation from the Lord in the Scripture, that you can know about God's power and his strength and his glorious might from creation. So if you look at creation, I think it's really hard to go, yeah, it all looks like a big accident to me. Um, that's just my, me personally, but like, you know, just even the other day I was listening to a guy talk about, uh, online, um, the universe expanding. And I just, I just stopped for a moment and I said, what does this person believe the universe is expanding into? <laughs> and I just sat. I was like, I've never heard anybody say, what is the universe expanding into? It's the universe. It's everything, right? So how is it expanding? Anyway, blew my mind. But that kind of thing can lead you to think, hey, maybe there's something more behind this. Scripture doesn't necessarily say exactly what happens with that. I believe, as a personal faith tenant, that if you respond rightly to creation and you say, I I know there's a God out there, and somehow I need to get the truth, that God's going to do everything he can to get you the truth in the form of the gospel in a person or in the book or in the person of Jesus. 
Yeah, and then I would just say it, it is okay. I think I'm thinking of the question a little bit differently and on the off chance that the person who asked it was thinking more like me. Um, I think it's okay. we should check ourselves and check our beliefs and our foundations, like what we're thinking. Um, and especially the, the, like, the big general things in the church. Like I, I've changed my mind a lot over the last like couple of years and certainly ever since like I was like first a believer. Like I've changed my mind about like big things in scripture um, because of what I was taught and then I learned more or what I read and then I learned more um, and through prayer. And so I think it's always good to like check ourselves. Like, wait, why do I believe this? Who told me this? And where do they get this from? Like, I was taught this in church, but like, what does God say about it? What What do I hear from God in my prayer life? And what do I What do I actually read too? Not just what I've heard a pastor say. Um, so I think it's really important to be able to check ourselves too, and, and be willing to change our mind because yeah. we we have to be humble. I think humble enough to realize I'm absolutely wrong about some things. Like New City is wrong about some things. It's just true. I'm wrong about some things, and so being open minded in that area, I think, is good. Yeah, so the whole social media, all this stuff online, influencers, probably not the best place, but I don't think you can fully discern who God is by yourself. Again, historically, you need a community you can talk to the scriptures. That's what our community groups are for. We talk through the scriptures, things that we're learning, different perspectives on things. So I think being part of a, being part of a local community is the best thing you can do. All the online stuff, that's where you can kind of get in trouble. So, Next one. If Christians believe that Jesus' death has paid for every sin, why can't you be a, why can't you be a Christian and continue to sin? Um, if Christians believe that Jesus' death was paid for every sin, why can't you be a Christian? Try to understand this. Is this, yeah. a, is this a First John three question? I think so. I think so. So we, the, I mean, we do continue to sin. All of us continue to sin. Like, so you are still a Christian, even though you continue to sin. All of us here in this room sin to this week, um, and probably today, um, and we're still Christians. Like, that doesn't make us not a Christian because we sin. But I think what this question is getting at is like, why can't we just like say like, well, I just am going to continue to sin. Like, I just am going to have premarital sex. I just am going to continue to gossip, and like, I'm not going to feel bad about it, whatever it may be for the sin. So I think that's what the question is getting at, and he has some scripture for us he's going to read while he's looking at it so yeah so roman talk, or paul talks about too in romans continuing to sin so that grace can abound why don't i just do that i think at the end of the day if your affections have changed because christ has changed your life and your heart and you want to pursue him and i think this also goes with the you know discerning the spirit and walking with the spirit um as we pursue jesus we're going to recognize things in our life that are not good for us and uh hamper how god wants us to experience him and how we can love other people well um, and so, and so the encouragement for us is yes, you will continue to sin. Hopefully though, it's something that you're cognizant of, that you care about, that you don't dismiss. And then you're also going to figure it out over time. So if you're a brand new believer, there's a lot of things you have no idea what's going on. And someone who's been following Jesus for a while could easily condemn someone, but I can't believe they're doing that. Well, the spirit's working with them where they're at. And so for us, we do continue to sin. The question is, do we repent? Do we confess it? And do we recognize that, it, that sin is what it is? And again, you have a really hard time doing this if you don't have a community that can point these things out and that can walk alongside with you. Because uh, otherwise, you know, it's really easy to be blind to what you're doing. So, Dave, I think you have something. Oh, I think they may be referencing First uh, John chapter 3, starting yeah. in verse 4, where uh, John is writing to the church. And he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And I guess the context here is critical because if you go back two chapters earlier, John is saying that uh, anyone who says they're without sin in 1 John 1, 8, anyone who says they're out without sin is lying and the truth is not in them. So what does it mean that you can sin but not practice sinfulness? I think chapter 1 is talking about the reality of we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all screw up. 
we're, we're broken. Uh, the world is a mess. Uh, the devil tempts us. There's all kinds of ways we fall into sin. And there's an easy solution there because he says uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if he, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness uh, if we confess. So chapter 3 is talking about if you are practicing a lifestyle of ongoing unrepentant sin, then you shouldn't look and say, well, I believed in Jesus and think, you're probably okay. Because the scripture is saying your life is telling you you're probably not okay. You probably don't believe the way you think you do. This is not who Jesus is. And so if you're practicing that way and you're unrepentant and you don't care, you should be thinking, maybe I'm not in Jesus. Maybe I don't have faith. Maybe I'm not in the kingdom. So that's where it gets a little bit difficult. But again, it's really hard to do exegesis on two different passages in the same book in 90 seconds. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I think, too, like, the reason we can't continue to sin is because the Bible tells us not to. Um, so Romans 6 would be a great example of that. It also talks about, like, like what Dylan was mentioning earlier, why not grace abound. Um, but also in 1 Corinthians where it's talking about to flee sin. So God tells us to stop sinning. Um, so that is why we should stop sinning. But then there's this also whole piece of scripture um, where it's talking about, like, the wrestling with sin. So we're still going to wrestle with sin. Like, we know to do good, and yet we do bad. And so that's going to be something that's always happening. But it's kind of like what Dylan was saying earlier. It's like, are we coming? to repentance? Are we striving for a life with Christ? Are we striving for holiness as opposed to just saying like, uh, I think God got this wrong. I'm just going to gossip every day. It's going to be great. Um, so I think that's the difference. Yeah. And uh, lastly, again, it's really easy for us to view like sin as like, don't, God's mad at you. Don't do it. Be good or else. And that understanding, the, the scriptural understanding of it, what, what God teaches us is that God created everything, loves you more than you can even imagine. He knows what leads to life and to fulfillment, and to joy. And so when he's asking us to do certain things or to refrain from certain things, it might be hard in the moment, but ultimately it's for our own good. And so that's what he's encouraging us to do. He's not trying to be a killjoy. He's not trying to not make us have fun or whatever. He's trying to show us what it looks like to honor him and to love people so that we can actually experience the life that he wants us to experience. So next question. What does discipline look like in your family? I'm guessing that means with children. My wife tells me when I'm wrong. <laughs> As she should. Um, well, we'll talk about for me from a family perspective. When I, I think, I think uh, two things. I think you always get in trouble when you say like two things and you forget one of them or you say three things. <laughs> when it comes to disciplining kids, we've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Our seven-year-old daughter, her name is Finley. She's the sweetest thing ever, and she would make anybody look like a great parent. Roman is four, and he's awesome. <laughs> um, he, when I was growing up, very strong-willed, people said, you know, when you, you're, gonna, you're gonna have a kid one day just like you, and it was always like to get you back. I love it, actually. I love that Roman is just like me. He accepts, he has, he has something that's actually better than me, that he's like me, he's very strong-willed, doesn't like to be told no, doesn't like to lose, doesn't wanna apologize, but he's very sweet, unlike me. And we've learned that he's very sweet because he has an older sister who's extremely sweet. And so he's like me, but improved, so that's good. He'll actually, you know, have friends. I think he'll just hang out with us because they like Christina. Um, <laughs> There's two things that, that we would say. One, um, like for us, um, we, there are no empty threats. So for our kids, like if we say you're going to get in trouble for something, you're going to get in trouble for something. If we say, hey, if you do this, when you get home, this is going to be the consequence, it actually happens. So I think one of the things for us that helps us with our kids is that they know when we say something, we mean it. And I, again, I'm, we, we got two kids. They're young, but I can only see from what I've seen, what I've seen from others. I think the biggest problem is like, threatening your kids you're going to do something. Well, of course they don't believe you, and so they're going to do whatever they want because they know that you're not going to do what you want. I learned this when I was a kid because uh, we had a neighborhood with tons of kids, and my parents were really strict. That's what I thought I was a kid, and my other friends' parents weren't. And basically the difference was 
they said, they were, my friend's parents said, if you do this, you're going to get in trouble, and then they didn't. And then my parents said, if you do this, you're going to get in trouble, and then I did. And so that really helped. So I, I would say no empty threats. I don't know what the second thing was, or I shouldn't have said it, but you talk to that. But I, that's one of the biggest things that, that I would tell my friends, people with kids, whatever, is when you say something, you have to do it, which means you also don't do, like, extreme threats that you're not going to do. Like, if you're not willing to leave the restaurant, if your kid acts up again, do not say that. Um, and I, so that's the problem I see a lot. Yeah, I would say I we've learned a lot from like older, wiser people. Like that would be my recommendation is like get someone who's ahead of you who's done this. And like th like that's been so helpful for me is like the women at New City who like I like their adult children. I'm like, what did they do? Like, let me find out. Um, and so learning from them. And then I think having the end goal in mind um, is really important. Of It's kind of like the last question what Dylan was saying about like God wanting abundance and good things for us. Like sometimes that's hard. Like if I just wanted my kids to be happy, I'd be a terrible parent and I yeah. would never discipline them. If I just wanted my kids to be happy, they'd have rotten teeth because they'd have candy for breakfast. Um, I would never tell them no. None of y'all would want to be around them. <laughs> um, and they'd grow up to be entitled and the kind of people that we all avoid and call toxic. And so with the, and having the end goal in mind um, and also just like d disciplining with grace um, and disciplining, letting them know that we love them no matter what, you know, um, and that there's nothing that they can do that would make us not love, lo love them. And, and, and yeah. You have adult children that are cool. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I hesitate, and here's why. Um, sometimes we think if I just get the right discipline method, or if I just be consistent enough, or, 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 then results are guaranteed. And they're not. Karen and I many, many times in the last few years have talked about friends that we know and love and have parented better than us, and their adult children run into some kind of trouble. And the reality is you can do the very best and have your kids mess up, okay? So it isn't all on you. Th there's an element of their own free will and their own determination and their own predilections and all the things that they go through that you just cannot discipline out of them. And sometimes they have to go through things and sometimes they're devastating. So I want you to hear that being the perfect parent doesn't produce great kids, and here's why. I learned this from Henry, Henry, Henry Cloud. You could be a perfect parent, and your kids are going to be sinners. They're going to be bad sinners. They're going to have problems. And we know this because in the garden, Adam and Eve had the perfect father, literally perfect. And they blew it not just for themselves, but for the entire world. And we're still living with the consequence of their sin. So if you think, if I can just get this discipline thing down, oh, my kids will be right. That, that may not be true. You can be a bad parent and have your kids grow up to be great adults by God's grace and mercy. <laughs> it, it's not all on you. So you want to do the best you can and you want to discipline consistently. The only other thing I'd say about discipline is this, is that I regularly told my kids to remind myself, you know, if they'd say, I hate you, or you're not my best friend, go, that's okay. You're allowed to hate me. I'm your parent. I don't live for your adoration and I don't live for your uh, worship and you don't have to like me right now. My job is to make you the kind of person that I would respect when you're an adult and I would want to be friends with and who loves Jesus. And so that's what I'm aiming for. So whether you hate me today as a four-year-old, it's really not, it doesn't change my world. <laughs> cool, next one. How can you tell when God is closing a path you are taking in your life and wants you to take a new one? Well, Dave, you've been down the most paths of us three, so how do you tell? So, um, yeah. Here's some great examples. 
uh, sometimes you want something and the door gets slammed in your face. Sometimes you want to do something and you don't get that job or you get fired. Or sometimes you're going in a certain way and you just think, I don't know if this way God's leading. I can just tell you practically what Kara and I have done on big decisions that we prayed about for a long time. I, I call it the decision before the decision. Usually like a day or two early, I will just say, hey, God, we feel like you're leading in this direction and we're going that way. If that's not right, you need to stop us because we think we've heard you and we're going this way, so you better stop me if that's the way, it's, if that's not right. And then usually it's like, well, God's not stopping us. And I think it's because God's like, yeah, I've been leading you. You finally heard me. Go. Just keep going. But I just you know, have that little fear of what if I make the wrong decision. So that prayer is kind of like my last check. It's like, okay, we've been going this way. Lord, we're heading this way. And unless you stop us, we're doing it. And very often, God doesn't stop when we move ahead, and it's been a great thing. But you make mistakes. Um, but usually, yeah, for me, it's been I pray, I seek counsel, I go in the direction. My wife and I pray together. We try to make sure that we hear from the Lord on this, and then we move. And that's how you know. If you move and everything falls apart, that wasn't God's will. Yeah, so I think many times the answer to this is you don't know. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about following God's will for your life. Again, at the end of the day, Jesus asked us to love God and to love others. And if you can do that with whatever decision you're going through, then there's not necessarily a wrong or a sinful one. Um, I do think it's helpful that God puts people in our lives that give us advice and wisdom and guidance. And so, you know, if somebody's, if most people are encouraging us one direction, that could be it, even if we may or may not like it. Um, I also think that what Dave is saying there is, again, if you've done that, then you've considered the Lord. It's like, God, I don't know these, exactly what to do here. Both of these options, you know, I can faithfully love you. Here's what I'm going to do. And uh, if you don't want me to do it, then don't have me do it. Um, it's not, again, that doesn't answer, like, should I do this or not? But I, I always go back to, we, we often think of getting it wrong as if God's mad at us. And when, when Jesus talks about the freedom that, that following him brings, I mean, this is it. It's not you have to do X, Y, and Z or else. It's that honor me, love people, and you can do that anywhere. Now, if you've got something specific right now and you're like, I'm not, I don't know. Like, they're both fine. I, I don't have an answer for you, but I do want you to know that, like, God's not going to be mad at you if you chose the wrong one. Like, if you've considered him the best you can... I think, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big guy. I think saying things like, Lord, here's what I'm doing. If there's nothing that comes in my way, if, if you don't seem to be doing anything, that, here's what I'm going to do. And maybe something comes in your way and you missed it. But I still think you considered him, and I think that's the most important thing. Let me just give you one quick funny story, just because I think it will help. When I first came to faith, I was 16, um, and I trusted Christ, and pretty big transformation right away. But I was very obvious and very straightforward with the Lord, and I said, Lord, there's three things I'm not going to do, Okay. I'm willing to follow you, but there's three things that are off the list. Number one, I am not breaking up with my girlfriend. <laughs> number two, I am not telling anybody about this decision. And number three, I am not going to Africa to be a missionary, okay? Okay? Within weeks, my girlfriend saw the change in my life and dumped me. Number two, people at school started saying to me, what is going on with you? You're like a different person. What has happened? And I was like... I don't know, Jesus, maybe, could, I'm, I'm not very good at this, and I wasn't, but then I got involved in a ministry that was highly evangelistic, ended up seeing lots and lots of people come to faith because I was willing to tell people about Jesus because God changed me, and then the third was four summers later, I was in Africa as a missionary for the entire summer, <laughs> and it wasn't because, it wasn't because somehow God forced me to do things I didn't want to do. 
God actually changed my heart to align with where he wanted me to go, so they were good things. I willingly did these things. I joyfully did them. So sometimes you just have to go, hey, if, if this isn't where it's at, Lord, change my heart if this is where you want me to go. But otherwise, if it's not a moral issue, you know, follow your heart. Maybe God made you a musician, and that's where you should go, and you don't need to be an engineer. Or maybe you can be both, like a lot of our worship team people. I don't know. <laughs> cool. We'll do a couple more. Next one. Should Christians expect our government to hold biblical values on topics such as marriage or any topic? Um, I mean, I, the answer to that is no. And I'm not just saying that because, I mean, marriage is one that maybe on the federal level is different than what Scripture might recommend. I think one of the things is really easy for us to remember, regardless of what you think the state of the country is, politics, that sort of thing. First century Roman Empire was way worse than, way worse than this. And it's not to say that this doesn't matter. It's not to downplay our fears and our anxieties at all. But you had a people who live in a, uh, a empire that they had, of course, that they couldn't influence the laws at all, but they were still trying to faithfully follow Jesus as best they could. And so the answer to that question is, is no. Um, there is no nation in the world. Like ancient Israel before Christ came was a unique thing that God called the people geographically for a lot of various reasons to do a certain thing out of which the Messiah would come. And now the people of God are not a nation. They're a people. And um, nations do great things. Nations can do bad things. And you can see uh, people following Jesus in some of the most closed nations in the world right now. In Iran and China, you see believers exploding. And there's a lot of policies that, as follow Jesus, we say, yeah, that's not good at all. Um, and so that's not to say we shouldn't be involved. I, I 100% uh, having, support having convictions and voting and even discussing in a way that's honoring to other people if we can do that. Um, I think that's, that's totally good. Um, but... I mean, first century, not at all. And so I should, should, we should, should we expect it? Well, it's not happening. It doesn't mean we shouldn't want it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to elect officials that we um, you know, are confident in. But to expect it, I mean, that's not the, the first century. The New Testament was written that way. And so I, I, I mean, I don't expect it for us either. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect sinners and people who don't know God to act like people who believe God. Um, I think one of the things that has been frustrating to me, this is a little off topic, um, about things like this and other like big topics like this that, that can be really divisive, um, even within the church, because you can't make assumptions, um, is the way people are talking about it. Um, and I know that I don't think we need to walk on eggshells or anything like that, but I think s sometimes we get in our Christian circles and we talk about it in a way that we maybe wouldn't talk about if our gay friend was in the room. Um, and I think we're making a lot of assumptions when we do that because you don't know who is in the room and what they struggle with um, or who they know or who's in their family. Um, and so maybe we should always pretend or act like there might be someone in the room who struggles with the same thing with the abortion conversation we were having earlier like don't assume that the in a small circle of four women that you're talking that one of them hasn't had an abortion like don't make that assumption like let's be kind about how we talk about this um and like love people and like hear their story because it's through god's love and it's through relationship that we're going to change people's mind and that they're going to experience jesus which is the most important thing them experiencing jesus is the most important thing not them changing their mind and getting on board with your politics yeah, and this is, I mean, it's just really hard. I think also we shouldn't, this is where we, even if we don't believe the prosperity gospel, we can kind of think it as like, as long as everyone's faithful, then God will bless the country. And I think sometimes that's maybe our motivation. We just want blessing. I just think it's really worth pointing out that, you know, America is founded in the 1700s and there's a lot of prosperity when there was a lot of horrific evil going on. Slavery, um, human trafficking, you know, sex abuse. I mean, these things were happening and America was exploding. And so we can't just equate blessing financially and materially with being faithful. And so, 
Yeah. Again, I think we should pray, hope, and, and vote for all these things, and hopefully, you know, God does it, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it because it's just our, our so. Let's do, I don't know, two more? Or maybe three. You want to stay all, all day until the fireworks? No. <laughs> we'll do a couple more. Um, what are some extra-biblical resources that you recommend? Uh, I'll do some quickly. I mean, you guys can share. There's a lot of good things. Um, there's a podcast called The Bible Project. I, I listen to it. It's one of the two that I actually listen to every single week. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but only two that are, like, good enough that I'll catch all the episodes. You don't have to be a Bible scholar at all. Uh, they, they do it in a way that's, uh, I mean, you can under, some of it might be confusing, but they, there's got, basically they got a one really smart guy and one guy that is not as biblically trained. And he asked, and he asked the really smart guy all the questions that we would ask. Now, they, I mean, they're both smart. And, uh, so the Bob Project, I'd recommend their podcast. They also have a YouTube channel and a website where they talk through, you know, stories and themes of the Bible and they do it in a really specific, like really easy to follow way. And I just love it too, because they're just very humble and they're very, you know, here's what the scripture says, here's what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And he explains, you know, a lot of stuff, like right now this year, they're going through the entire Old Testament and like the major themes. And so they pull out a lot of stuff, you know, what's going on that, that, we, that we could easily miss. So the Bible Project is one of the most, I don't know, basic things, but helpful things that I recommend. Could I add on, on that one? They also have a like seven to 10 minute uh, video introduction to every book of the Bible, mm -hmm. which is really good. And they have seven to 10 minute videos, sometimes over three, but introducing lots of theological topics that cover broad, broad swaths of theology that they do a really good job with. So if you're video oriented or like under 20, you know, and you can't read, but you want to <laughs> see, see stuff, it's a great way to go because they've got video um, and you could actually show your teenagers, no problem, yeah. they could get it. It's really solid stuff and it's basic language. I really like the Bible Project. Yeah, they, have, they have an app too they came out with this year. So there's a lot of stuff you could recommend. If I had to pick one, no matter where you are, I think that's a really helpful place to start. So, Yeah, I would just say not Instagram and not TikTok. I think a lot of us like want to get like like filled up. And not that there's not encouraging things on there. Like I, 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 like I help run an online ministry. Like I'm all for it. But like, if, like actually like knowing God's word and like growing, like it's not going to be in an Instagram post. It's going to be in something a little bit yep. deeper than that. And you, 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 you might be, there might be a lot of different angles. So I'm happy to chat if there's something specific you're looking for. One of the main big guys that I recommend, it's not be, uh, won't be a surprise because I quote him all the time, is Tim Keller. Um, he talks a lot about like the intellectual side of Christianity. He's got a book, The Reason for God, um, which is all about you know, skepticism and is it, you know faith and a lot of stuff. And so he's a, he's a guy I recommend too that writes a lot of stuff that I think is really accessible. But Bob Project, Tim Keller, there's a lot of things, but uh, you know those are some quick ones. All right, we'll do two more. I keep saying that, so we'll do one more and then two more. I don't know if you want to do this the last one or the first one because I kind of lied to you, Kevin. But let's end with this one. How about that? Let's do one. We'll do one more and then we'll end with that one. What are good ways to build relationships with people outside of our community or with non-believers? <laughs> I, think, I think Christina's probably the best at this. Um, yeah, just go make friends and don't be weird. Um, <laughs> uh, just, like, yeah. Like, so that's my problem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or be weird. That's fine, too. You can be weird. Um, no, just be yourself and, and make friends. But I, I think we have to be intentional about, like, going outside. If we want to make non-believing friends, 
you're not going to find them all at New City, right? Because they're probably not coming here. Um, and so making sure you're going to other places and whether it's like a trivia night or a bar or you're like trying to get to know the cashier at the grocery store um, or you love to go to concerts and you're always trying to meet people who are concert hop hopping with you. Um, but find things that you're passionate about that you can kind of like relate to with other people and just like make friends. Go to the same coffee shop. Get to know the baristas. Um and yeah, just just be yourself. I, I think one thing that has been encouraging to me, especially if you, I'm, it kind of sounds like it's like in an evangelistic avenue. Um, one thing that's been really encouraging to me is like I don't have to hide my Christianity or my faith to make friends with a non-believer. Like I can just be myself and I can talk about God and how I experience Him without it being weird. And even if it is weird for a minute, like that's okay too because like this is real life. Like I'm gonna talk about going to church. I'm gonna talk about my church community and how they're there for me. I'm gonna talk about the meal train that we're setting up for the new mom or whatever it is. And especially because it might be so foreign to them, they might have a lot of questions about that, and it's it engages in a really good conversation. I think it's, it's hard to, especially if you're more introverted, because it takes some initiate, initiative and, you know, work from home. You're even you're like around people less mm -hmm. than even, you know, we were two years ago. I think one of the encouragements I would say is don't feel like I have got to befriend this person so that I can tell them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets really hard. Befriending people because God asks us to love and honor people is, is, is why we do it. And when the conversation comes up, that could be great. Or if there's an invitation to invite them to church at some point. But it doesn't need to be, I have to be friends with somebody because i got to tell them about Jesus or else God's going to get mad at me. This question is really how can we just be friends with people? But in our culture today, you have to take initiative because it's just really easy for us to stay home and watch Netflix and play video games and scroll Instagram. And so not feeling like I have to reach out to them so that I can tell them about Jesus but I am going to reach out to them because I, I love them, and hopefully these things, these, these things will come up at some point. But like, I just, God just asked me to be their friend first and foremost and you know, praying for opportunities once that happens. I don't know. That's not like a specific thing, maybe like practically, but I just know a lot of times we're just really nervous because we feel like i got to be friends with them so I can tell them about Jesus, but I'm really not trying to do that, so I'm just not going to be friends with them. And God just said love, love them where they are and see what might happen. Yeah, I think you just like brought up like a really good point and hit on something that I think is really huge and that we're all kind of experiencing, especially after the last two years. But like being a friend is inconvenient. Like you're going to have to inconvenience yourself to make friends. And I know it's way easier for extroverts than it is for introverts. Um, but even for an extrovert, like it's inconvenient to be a friend. But you want to have a friendship. All really good things in life are like take time to cultivate and so be willing to sacrifice not binging your favorite show and like making the call or texting or texting multiple times because they're ghosting you or like it takes initiating more than once like don't get beat up just because like the one time you tried to make a friend it didn't work like you got to keep trying because God tells us to live in community and we're really fighting that in our culture today because everybody just wants to be the like you do you, you just go there's so much entertainment that you can do just in your home without ever leaving the house and like ever seeing by like the sun um and so we have to fight this because God says to live in community he says to continue to meet together and so we've got to fight for this and so be brave pray and ask God to give you the strength um and to guide you in that yeah, I think that's a big thing too talk about praying asking the spirit to provide you a friend or to show him what you do and pray that multiple times days in a row multiple weeks in a row I guarantee you he'll do something all right, last one. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. We'll end with this one. What is your favorite ministry memory at New City so far? So New City launched in April 2017, five years ago. Uh, you know, we did some pre-launch stuff the year before that. Anything come to mind in particular? I don't know why I want David to answer well, first. I don't, why are you looking at me? I don't know. <laughs> you want me to go first? I'll go first. You, I have so yeah. many, so I, yeah. I want to say one that you're not going to say. Okay, okay, I have favorite is a terrible way to phrase a question. Because okay. my kids say, what's your favorite color? Green, yellow, purple, orange, what's your favorite? They, no, favorite is one. 
It's not 50,000 things, so. Exactly. But you can pick. And I don't have a favorite child either. So, <laughs> and I have three. So I, I guess for me, the two that jump out are launched, our very first Sunday launching. And I remember being um, excited because there was a lot of times when it didn't look like we were going to get there. It was uh, watching Dylan go through the process. It was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then Kara and I jumped in, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. You said what? We'll be here for a year? I did. We said we'd come okay. for a year. He's still here. Five years ago. We're not a cult, I promise. <laughs> we're, we're still thinking about that year. <laughs> anyway, um, launch Sunday, because there were so many things that had to happen in order for this to occur, and God just did all of them. And like launch Sunday was really special for me, because it was just a, one of those signs of like, oh, yeah, even a little bit past my prime in life, God can do cool things, and we can be part of something that's really cool. So old people hang around with young people, cool stuff happens. Um, and then just every time we have baptisms, uh, baptism is just one of those things for me that's emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally, uh, all those things, it just gets me because it's just the evidence of new life in Christ and lives being changed and families being changed and futures being changed. And that to me is just super special. And I love that. Yeah, I have a lot, and so I'm going to say more than one because I can, and you can't stop me, Dylan. Um, and so I, I'd say baptisms are my favorite for sure, but hey. Um, but definitely my daughter's baptism was really special. She got baptized this year, and so that was really spe special. She was seven, and Dylan baptized her, so that was awesome. Um, but I would say even some of the like harder, darker times have been my favorite um, just because of the way that I've seen like people like show up for each other here. Um, and so like my nephew had cancer last year, and it was just like really hard and to, to see like the body of Christ like show up and just like love us and my sister's GoFundMe was like raised like primarily by all of you um, in order to cover costs for her having to quit work to be able to be with him full time. Um, and yeah, we've had a lot of dark things like that. We've we've had funerals here. We've had um, really hard things happen. And to, to see you guys show up for each other and meet each other's tangible needs and like physically be there for each other has just been so sweet to me. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to answer because it's just really cool. This, you guys have just done so much and it's just an honor to do this with so many of you and I think one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things is just how there's a diversity of opinion here, mm -hmm. uh, politically and uh, on a lot of different things. And I know this because I've talked to many of you, and yet we, we found that Jesus is greater. And it's, it's really harder in our culture today to, unless you agree with everything I say, I'm not going to be around you. And that doesn't happen here. It's really hard for me to pick one. I think one of the coolest ones, do this super quick because I know we've already gone over, but when we were going to move into this building, which by the way, we moved in the week before COVID. And we're still here, so that was the whole God thing, shut down, how are we going to pay for it, whatever. But we were talking about we had to raise money, <clears throat> and we weren't sure how we are going to do it. And basically, we told the church, this was three years, four years ago now, hey, this space is available. we got to raise $75,000. We need you to tell us in two weeks if you can do anything above and beyond your offering, and we need the money to come in within the next six months. And so the two weeks comes. First of all, this guy donated this stock option to us like three months ago. Before we made this announcement, before we even knew this was a possibility, he was like, hey, can we do this stock option thing? We didn't tell him Hus, how much it was going to be, and so we didn't think much of it. So Brian was like trying to, our executive pastor was trying to figure out how do we transfer the assets, whatever. And we, that, it was a Thursday morning. We, before we even told the church, hey, what the money was going to be, it was going to be that Sunday. We needed to raise $75,000. And I'm like, how are we going to do this? <clears throat> Brian gets a call. We were going into this pastor's gathering. He gets a call from um, the guy who helped us get the, the stock options into our account. He said, hey, just want to let you know, the money went through, and he's like, by the way, did you know how much he was transferring? And Brian, Brian was like, no, we're walking in. And he goes, oh, it was $33,000. And we were like, first of all, like, how do I, I'm not going to this pastor's gallery. How do I not, like, start crying? But my first, before that, I was like, 
how do we not get sued for fraud? Because this is a mistake. <laughs> like he didn't, there was an extra zero attached. There is no way. And uh, it was not a mistake. We didn't, no one got thrown in jail. So that was good. But then we told our people, we ended up in two weeks, committed $118,000. We saw, I think about 110,000 of that total, which is percentage wise, people commit, like you don't see that at all. And God moved us in here, rent more than doubled, and we had to close down. And it's just, God's just very kind. And uh, more than me, more than anything else, though, even through COVID, our goal has never been to keep the lights on or to pay rent or whatever. The goal is to help people meet Jesus and grow in relationship with him. And so seeing baptisms this year, our daughter, seeing how you love one another, that's just been my favorite thing is doing life alongside of you guys, knowing that we, we all sin, we all blow it, but yet we give each other grace. And so I'm just excited to, to be here. So. Awesome. Well, we, go, we went a, longer than, a little bit longer than normal, so thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Dave, would you pray for us as we close?